Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 23. And I want to read together with you the first 24 verses. If you have your Bible there, please open it. And we would encourage you not only to see the words in the screen, but to look at the words on the printed page. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. I'm reading, of course, from the authorized version, a most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures. Acts chapter 23, verse 1. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees said that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel have spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must I bear witness also at Rome. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more than forty which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now, therefore, ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him, and we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul, then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called unto me and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. 
Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council, as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See that thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred, at the third hour of the night, and provide them beasts, that they may set Paul on, and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 24, and we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Acts chapter 23, verse 11. It reads as follows, And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. My theme today is entitled, A Message of Good Cheer for a Persecuted Saint. Now, there are five occasions in the Bible when the Lord Jesus said to certain individuals, be of good cheer or good comfort. The first is found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, when he said to the man sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And surely there is nothing that can cheer the heart and lift the spirit of an individual when he hears a word of cheer about the forgiveness of all his sins. Surely no one else can lift the burden of sin from an individual but the Lord Jesus himself. Isn't it wonderful this morning that Christ has a word of cheer for a pardoned soul? He also has a word of cheer for a pain-stricken soul. Remember he said to the woman in Matthew 9, 22, and here's the second one, Daughter, be of good comfort or be of good cheer. Thy faith hath made thee whole. The third good cheer that came from the lips of Christ was in the fourth watch of the night when his disciples were toiling at rowing in the Sea of Galilee. The wind and waves were boisterous. The disciples were fearful for their lives. The Lord Jesus, remember, wasn't with them on this occasion. He was on the mountaintop praying. But as he prayed, his eye was upon them. And then he came to them, remember, walking in the water. And whenever he came, what did he say unto them? Matthew chapter 14, verse 27. Be of good cheer. It is I. They were petrified and terrified. And yet they realized that it was the Lord himself. Immediately, we learn another lesson. No one can cheer the heart like the Lord Jesus when you're facing a storm in your life. 
Christ has a cheer, not only for the pardoned soul and the pain-stricken soul, but for the perplexed soul. Likewise, when the disciples were in the upper room, it's the last night of our Lord's earthly ministry. He has told them that he's going to die. He's told them he's going to be taken from them and sent back to uh, heaven, uh, to his heavenly Father. Again, they're fearful. They're perplexed and troubled. How would they cope? What about the future? The Lord has told them that um, he, he is going to die and he's going to leave them. Uh, he, he added that they were going to face tribulation in the world. They're going to be tested and tried. Uh, how were they going to survive? Uh, how would they cope? Well, here's the answer. John 16 and 33. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Christ is a cheer for every problematic soul. And when we read our Bibles, we discover that Christ also has a message of good cheer for a persecuted soul. And that's what we read in the book of Acts 23, verse 11. You see, according to the book of Acts, the apostle Paul came to Jerusalem toward the end of his third missionary journey. Members of the Sanhedrin council, they stirred up the whole of the city against Paul. So much so that there was a tumult. Paul was eventually arrested by the chief captain and the Roman soldiers. He was brought into the castle. He was put into prison. The Jews of Jerusalem, of course, were determined to have Paul put to death. This was a day, a time of grave opposition and persecution for Paul, something, of course, that he was no stranger to from the day that he had got saved. It seemed as if his life was being constantly overshadowed by opposition and persecution. Now, it seems as if it's intensifying. Remember the Apostle Paul only and always suffered for righteousness' sake? He was in prison for well-doing. He was not in prison for criminality. He was not a lawbreaker. He hadn't done anything worthy of death. We believe, of course, it was because of the Apostle Paul's love for Christ and his loyalty to stand up for the Lord Jesus and to preach Christ as the only Savior of sinners. Here's Paul, and Paul's in prison. And the chief captain of the guard planned to scourge Paul to try and find out the truth as to why the Jews hated him so much and wanted him dead. Once Paul indicated that he was indeed a Roman citizen and he was entitled to a fair trial and due process and it was not lawful to scourge a Roman citizen, the captain determined then to get to the very bottom of the problem. So we read in Acts chapter 22 verse 30, on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear, and brought Paul down and set him before them. Now I want you to think of the Apostle Paul before the Sanhedrin Council. This was a body of religious men, 70 in total, Pharisees, Sadducees, and elders of the city. Now remember, these men hated Paul. These men hated true Bible-believing Christianity. These men had banded together as one to hinder the spread of the gospel. When Paul eventually spoke, it all started with him being punched in the face. Uh, and then Paul apologized for speaking ill against Ananias as the high priest. 
And as this council meeting continued, of course, there was uproar amongst them once Paul mentioned the doctrine of the resurrection. And you can read that uh, from verse 6 right through to verse 9. Now look with me at verse 10. It says, And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul have been pulled in pieces off them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. Now think of Paul back into the castle. Here he is alone in his cell. He he feels he hasn't one friend in the world. He's feeling as if his life at that time, as he knew it, was going to end. He, of course, had lived every day from his conversion with eternity in view. He lived every day as if it was going to be his last day. But Paul now appears to be on the losing side. Maybe you feel like this today. Maybe you feel that your trials are piling up. That the trouble seems to be added upon trouble in your life. You're facing hardship upon hardship. You're trying your best to live for Christ. You love the Lord Jesus. You, you, you live to share the gospel. You're trying to do all that you can to the glory of God. But, but despite what you're trying to do, you, you feel like as if life is against you. you. You feel like saying, like, Jacob, all these things are against me. Well, if that's how you feel this morning, then I want to tell you that the Lord is a message for you. And it's a message of good cheer for a persecuted soul. And if you're a persecuted soul listening to me anywhere in the world, a pastor and you're maybe in prison, or maybe you're an elder and you're in prison, or you're being persecuted or you're facing opposition, then here's a good cheer for every persecuted soul. Now, as I thought of these words through the week, there were three things came to mind. First of all, there's a comfort for Paul's plight. It says, in the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul. You see, this is a personal word of comfort from Christ to Paul. Paul had had a hard day. Remember, he's back in the prison cell. He's a prisoner of imperial Rome. He had just been put on trial before the Sanhedrin council. He said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And as he spoke, Ananias commanded him to be smitten. And of course, what it means uh, whenever it says... um, them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth, it means they they thumped him in the face. It means they punched him with the fist. Maybe it was bruised. Maybe it was bleeding. Now, how did Paul react? He reacted in a very human way. God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. Immediately, of course, those that were in the council said, Revilest thou God's high priest. Now Paul, of course, then responded with a word of scripture. I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, verse 5, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. For, for some reason, um, uh, Paul didn't realize that Annas was the high priest. Maybe Annas wasn't dressed in the, the office of the high priest. 
Maybe Paul's eyesight was so poor and bad that he couldn't recognize him or, or couldn't identify him. But at that precise moment, Paul sensed that this council was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. And he knew there was a theological difference between the Sadducees and Pharisees. Some believed in the resurrection. Some didn't. Some believed in angels. Some didn't. Some believed in supernatural things. And, and some didn't. And then Paul cried out, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of the Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called into question. And as soon as he mentioned the doctrine of the resurrection, then they began to turn on each other. And as if Paul was in the middle, almost like a, 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 a rope, and it was being pulled in two directions. Think of a tug of war. And, of course, the captain of the guard uh, sensed that Paul was in danger of being ripped apart, and he immediately ordered the soldiers to intervene and return Paul to prison. And I've asked you to think of him back in the cell. See, this was a hard day for Paul. This is a day of mixed emotions. This is a, a day when he's maybe thinking of the events that have taken place in his life. Try to put yourself in his shoes. Think of the problems that he faced. Think of the pain that he felt. Think of the perplexity that he found. Paul had a clear conscience. Here he is punched in the face for no reason. He's rebuked for speaking against the high priest. He realized, of course, that he shouldn't have spoken out. He knew that he needed to be more careful with his words. He knew that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. He felt that he was going to end his days in prison. He, f he felt that his life would be over by the hand of these men. That they're going to kill me. He, he knew that he had a desire to preach Christ. He knew he had a desire to go to Rome. But he's now at a low point. He feels discouraged. He feels forsaken. He feels cast down. He feels depressed. He, he's, he's hit rock bottom, folks. He, he, he's at a low point in his life. And, 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 of course, people could ask, well, where's your God now, Paul? Where's your Savior now? And, of course, isn't that what they do to everyone that's in despair? Every struggling saint who, who's discouraged and forsaken and cast down. Where is your God now? Uh, from uh, Psalm 42. Maybe you're a Christian listening to me this morning. You're a struggling saint and you've fallen at hard times and you too are facing problems. Maybe you're even feeling pain. Uh, maybe you're perplexed and Maybe you have realized and heard the world, the ungodly, the careless, saying to you, where's your God now? You know, the answer is where he's always been, on the throne, in absolute sovereign control. Remember, he is foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And here's Paul, in this context, in this hard day, the Lord Jesus himself comes with a word of comfort for Paul. And what does he say? Look at the text. Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Here's a word of comfort for Paul's plight. How did the Lord comfort him? The answer is by his presence. It says in the text, the Lord stood by him. Not an angel, not another apostle, not even a friend, not a relative, but the Lord himself. Here's Paul facing great problems. 
He's in great desolation of spirit. Paul is in pain, pain in his heart, pain in his body, pain in his mind. And the Lord Jesus comes to where Paul was, into the prison cell, and he stands by him. He came to be with him in the prison cell. You see, Christ was for Paul. Christ was with Paul. Christ was beside Paul. Christ came to where Paul was. I believe that Paul was one of the loneliest people in the planet at this time. And the Lord had come to comfort him with his presence. Now that's not the first time that God had comforted Paul with his presence. In the book of Acts, in Acts 18 and verse 9, remember when Paul was at Corinth and he was afraid and fearful, especially for the future. It says, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set in thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he uh, said again to him in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 27 and the verse at 22, uh, in another context, in another situation, it says, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. I remember on that occasion, Paul near the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 17, Paul said, No man stood with me. In other words, all had forsook him. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood by me. Paul was comforted greatly by the presence of the Lord. And remember what we read over there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13. It says in verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness. and Be content with such things as you have. Why? For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Isn't that tremendous? What a promise. It says in verse 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Do you know that the Lord has promised you this morning not to forsake you, not to fail you? It says, he faileth not in the scriptures. And he will not forget you because you're engraven in the palms of his hand. He carries you in his heart. He bears your burden on his shoulders. And whatever you face this morning, maybe you're facing the death of a loved one. Maybe you're facing defeat in certain areas and you've given in to temptation and you have no victory in your life. Or maybe you're facing despair or depression. Maybe you're facing death. And you have mounting money problems. And you're worried maybe about losing your job. Maybe you're facing disease at work in your body. And you've got bad news from the doctor. And you don't know how you're going to cope. Maybe you're facing extreme disappointment of a breakdown in relationships among family or a personal friend. Well, I want to tell you this morning. Here's a word from Christ himself. A word that surely ought to warm any broken heart. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send another disciple. Child of God, even though you feel you're the loneliest person in the planet at this time, you're not alone. For he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Isn't that tremendous? I will never, 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 never forsake you. He comforts by his 
presence. He knew Paul's name. He called him Paul. He called him by that new name, not Saul of Tarsus, but Paul. He knew his need. And he had a special message addressed to a particular persecuted soul. He also comforted him by his power. Do you know that the wording in the Greek New Testament in Acts chapter 28, verse 11, that we have read as our text, the words, be of good cheer, form a command. It's Paul, be comforted, or be consoled, Paul. This is not a weak cheer up. This, this is not a mere keep your chin up, boy. This is not a, a slap on the back or, or a hand on the shoulder, a mere I'm thinking of you. This is much more. This is a strong word of comfort. This is a word of support, a word of strength. The Lord Jesus is so sensitive to Paul that he comes to where he is to support and strengthen him by his word. It could be argued that it even means not only be comforted and be consoled, but, but be consistent and constant. In other words, keep doing what you're doing, Paul. Don't quit. Don't give up. Take heart. Remain steadfast. See, Paul, I believe, has given in to great discouragement. He feels it's all over. And, and here's a word that he needs to hear. And the word is not only be comforted and be consoled, but be consistent. Be, 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 be um, constant. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't many feel today in this 21st century that the church of Jesus Christ has changed, especially in this past 30 or 40 years? Many even feel that the Free Presbyterian Church has changed. It's not the same from its inception in 1951. We could really say that our country at large and society has changed. And sadly, the testimony of many professing Christians seems to have changed. You see, we live in a day when it seems as if the old gospel is not enough anymore. People don't want to hear the old message of salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, revealed in the Bible alone, to the glory of God alone. They, they, they tell us that it's not enough, that we need something more to, to get the people in. We need signs and wonders. We need some form of new revelation. We, we need an abundance of miracles. And you see, there's a tendency to think, especially among fundamentalists, especially among Reformed evangelicals who hold to the old past and the old truths, who refuse to deny the old message of the doctrine of salvation or to give it up, that there's no hope for us, that the best days are gone. We might as well shut up shop. It's pointless. It's not possible. God is not going to help us. God is not going to revive. I want to tell you, I believe in the power of God's promise. Remember what we read there in uh, 1 Corinthians in uh, chapter 1 and in the verse 20 and uh, 21, we read these words. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And you see, God was saying to Paul, Paul, keep preaching the word. 
What's Paul doing in Jerusalem? He's come to Jerusalem with a gift for the Gentile church. He's come from Asia Minor. Here he is facing the hardest and difficult of circumstances. He, he's, he is strongly accused of being a criminal and a lawbreaker. And what does the Lord Jesus say? Paul, look at the text. As thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem. Underline those words. It's as if, Paul, you have been faithful. Paul, you have pleased me. Paul, you have done well. Paul, you have lived in light of eternity. See, Paul had an eye to please Christ. He was not a man pleaser. He was not out to please men. And all that really counts in Paul's ministry was that Paul was pleasing the Lord. It reminds me of a story of a man who came to a big church of 700 families and a lady asked the minister, newly installed, how are you going to please everybody, reverend? And he said, no, I have only one person to please in the church. And the woman was asking, well, who is it? She was thinking of the money men and the business men and, and those that were in power and authority. And the minister said, no, I'm only here to please Christ. And that's all that really counts. He comforts not only by his presence and by his power, but he comforts by his promise. Think of these words. So must thou bear witness of me also at Rome. You see, Paul is in the prison cell. He's full of doubts. He's thinking he's going to die. What about my future ministry? He's fearful and discouraged. But Christ would not fail Paul. Christ was faithful. Christ was true to his word. And here he is comforting his servant in the darkest hour, in the, the very depth of the night of trouble, in the midst of his trial. Here's a bright word from the lips of the Savior. He is interested in you. He will not forget you. And by his promise and by his power and by his presence, Here's a word of comfort for Paul's plight. Notice, secondly, there's care for Paul's protection. I want you to think of how these Jews tried to kill Paul. They, they were ready to murder him. And you know, when you think of Paul's life, and you can trace it, Acts chapter 9, Acts 14, Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 22, and here in Acts chapter 23, they had no love for Paul. Constantly from the day of his conversion, there's a real continual threat on his life. And there was many attempts on his life. And it was only by the providential dealings and care of Jesus Christ that, that Paul was rescued from some situation. Look with me at chapter 23, verse 10. It, it, it says, And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces off them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. They're fighting over Paul. Paul's in the middle. It's as if there's a tug of war is going on and there's no rope there, but the rope's a man. The rope's a preacher. And the attempt is to get him at him, put him apart from limb to limb. We read here in Acts chapter 23, verses 12, right through to 15 of 40 Jews and more that bound themselves with an oath not to eat and drink until they've killed Paul. I want you to think of the source of this murderous intent. Certain Jews, was Paul not a Jew? Was he not one of their fellow countrymen? The answer is yes. Think of the serious 
witness of the murderous intent. Forty men and over. Paul was only one man guarded by a few soldiers. I want you to think of the seriousness of this murderous intent. They'd bound themselves with an oath they weren't going to eat and drink. Think of the strength of this murderous intent, 40 men and over. Think of the subtlety of this murderous intent. Verse 15, they come to the Sanhedrin council. They, they, they said to them, we have hatched a plan. Ask for another meeting. Let's ambush Paul en route. We lie in wait, and when the soldiers come, we're ready to kill him. See, these men had murder in their heart. This was a real conspiracy to get Paul. This was intensification of this murderous threat. See that Paul problem? They said to the leaders of the Sanhedrin Council, well, we've got a plan to deal with that Paul problem. And you know what happened? The Lord, in a wonderful way, protected Paul. The Lord worked providentially. We read in verse um, 16, And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul, Can, can you get the picture? He heard of this evil intention. He went and told Paul. Paul then called this, one of the soldiers to take him to the captain. The young boy went and told the captain of the plot to kill Paul. And the captain took immediate steps. Verses 22 right through to verse 24. And Paul arrived safely in the uh, palace of Felix, the governor in Caesarea. An amazing turn of events. How was this possible? Well, God's at work. We're not told Paul's sister's name. We're not told of her nep his nephew's name or, or the age. It's possible that this young man was a teenager. But he hears and discovers of this plot to kill his uncle. He's in the right place at the right time. Thankfully, he has access to his uncle. He gets in to visit him when he requests it. He, he has access to the chief captain of the guard. He even has courage to share this news about this serious threat. Remember, of course, if he's found out, his own life could be in danger. A young boy, full of courage. He knew that murder was wrong, violating the sixth commandment. He knew that he had to do the right thing. He had to tell others. He knew that he loved his family. He certainly loved his uncle enough to care. He, he knew that he needed wisdom and courage and strength to do the right thing. This was no accident. God was at work behind the scenes. See, let's learn something afresh. God's care for Paul's protection. His times were in God's hands. Paul was not going to die at the hands of these Jewish men. Certainly not now. His life was going to be preserved. Why? Because his life was in the hand of God. And let's remember we all exist by God's good pleasure. Let's remember that our, our breath is in God's hands. He's the God in whose hand our breath is. And we should remember that and say with the psalmist, my times are in thy hands. Can I tell you something else? The enemies of the gospel are not all powerful. Forty men and more Jewish men with a vow not to eat or drink until Paul is dead. Paul was only one prisoner. He only had a few guards. They could strike when they wouldn't expect it. Most of them could be unarmed. And, and you think of this, false religion, backed up by evil and wicked men, but they're not all powerful. They can't do as they like. See, only Christ is all powerful. The Lord Jesus Christ does and rise up to protect his own. He cares for you. In fact, he says, casting all your care upon him, 
He careth for you. And isn't it wonderful as well that God uses unusual means to to accomplish his will? This was a young man. You you think of that little maid in the uh, country of Syria that uh, spoke to her mistress about uh, Naaman, the captain of the Syrian guard, about his leprosy and how he could be healed by the prophet in Israel. You think of the little lad in the... um, shores of the lake of Galilee who brought his little lunch to um, the Lord Jesus along with Andrew and gave up the few loaves and the two fishes to feed 5,000 men besides women and children. Do you know the Lord Jesus has pleasure in taking that which is weak and despised and that which is nothing to bring a glory to himself. Remember what we read there in 1 Corinthians um, uh, chapter 1 in the verse um, 26 he says for you see your calling brethren now that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised of God chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Maybe you're a young person listening to me this morning and you feel worthless. Maybe you feel there's nothing I can do for the Lord. I want to tell you there is. Here's a young man and he was greatly used by God. And the Lord used him to take care of his aged servant. The Lord Jesus will not fail to take care of you. The Lord Jesus will not uh, fail uh, to... um, Use you for his glory. The Lord knows the evil deeds of wicked men. The Lord knows the intent and purpose of the devil. But they can only do as God allows them to do. Because it's the Lord who has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Could I encourage you today? There's a care for Paul's protection. Not only a comfort for Paul's plight. But there's a care for Paul's protection. Could I close this morning with sharing this? There's a commission for Paul's purpose. You see, the Lord Jesus came to where Paul was with a timely word. And what did he say? So must I bear witness also at Rome. Paul, you're going to witness for me at Rome also. Paul, I want you to believe in me. Paul, I want you to trust me. Remember, Lord, I am, uh, Paul, I am absolutely sovereign. Isn't it great this morning to believe in the sovereignty of God? Things happen that we don't understand. But we can rest in God's sovereign plan and purpose for our lives. Remember, it was Paul that said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This was one of those times. Paul had experienced this. Even things, bad things that he couldn't understand, he could rest in God's sovereign purpose and plan for his life. You see, the Lord is sovereign in his plan. Paul, your ministry's not over. It's not finished. Paul, you're not going to die. There's a new phase of ministry coming. 
You're going to face the powers that be. You're going to stand before kings. You're going to stand before Nero, Paul. And you're going to testify of me. See, the Lord is sovereign in his power. And the Lord overruled the threat. He brought to naught the plans of evil and wicked men. And he can do that for us individually. He can do that in your life and in your family. You know, he, he can do that for our country. He can bring to naught the evil plan of abortion. He can bring to naught the evil plan of same-sex marriage. The, the, the Lord has a way of working even things out for his honor and for his glory. The Lord is sovereign in his providence. He can work behind the scenes. Paul, remember, has a, been a chosen vessel from the day he got saved. And he has this intention that he's going to go to Rome. And, and he feels, you know, it's, it's not going to be possible now. I, I'm in prison. It's not what we read in Acts chapter 19 and in the verse 21. It says, after these things were ended, Paul proposed in his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So, so, so that's his intention. And of course, we read then in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, and in the um, uh, verse um, 7, he, he says, uh, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Verse 10, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. Paul wanted to have some fruit among those believers at Rome, even as among other Gentiles. He says in verse 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And you know what? He's in his prison cell. And he thinks, I'm going to die. It's not going to be possible now. But you know what? Our God smiles at impossibilities. Our God declares, it shall be done. Is it possible for God to revive the work and witness of the free Presbyterian church? Is it possible for God to save one of your loved ones? whom you've prayed for for a long time, who's not yet saved? Is it possible for God to save a friend, a, a work colleague? Is it possible for God to, to bless the, the gospel of Christ that it spreads with such power? The answer is yes. Why? Because God smiles at impossibilities. He declares it shall be done. When man says it's impossible, it, it's not going to happen. God works sovereignly and providentially in such a way. See, there's a commission for Paul's purpose. This is a timely word. Could I tell you this is a tender word? It's directed at Paul personally. The Lord knew all about his servant. He knew about his loneliness, his affliction, his suffering. He knew about his mental state. You know what he needed? He needed a tender word. And he needed the word right at that moment, at that night. And the Bible says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. This was a very tender word, Paul. Oh, I can hear it ooze from the lips of Christ. Do you know what as well? This was a truthful word. You know what the Lord Jesus is saying to Paul, folks? Trust me, Paul. I know what I'm doing. And we have to do that. Remember, faith in Christ is not just the decision of a moment. It's the principle of whole life. The just shall live by his faith. We live by faith. It's, it's faith in Christ. 
It's, it's faith in God and his plan and purpose. Can I tell you in closing, it's a triumphant word. Because it did happen. The Lord Jesus was saying to Paul, Paul, I'm going to set you free from this prison cell. Paul, can I assure you of victory? You have testified of me in Jerusalem. And you have a purpose in your heart. You want to bear witness to me in Rome. Well, Paul, that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's exactly what did happen to the glory of God. Could I say to you folks who are listening to me, God has it all planned out already. He knows the end from the beginning, the day of your birth, the day of your death, the bounds of your habitation in between. And you know what you have to do in life's journey? You have to trust him. And you have to look for, for God working sovereignly and God working providentially and allow this tender, truthful word to fill your soul that you might triumph in the end that God's plan and God's purpose is being fulfilled. I commend this cheer of Christ to you, this good cheer for a persecuted soul, comfort for Paul's plight. There's care for Paul's protection. But there's also commission for Paul's purpose. May you hear this timely word too. Be of good cheer. And whatever your name is, put it in there. And whatever circumstances you face, allow this sovereign God to come and intervene and work things out for his glory and for your good. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for listening.